welcome to Widow Too Soon. This is Michelle Bader Ebersole. I am not with Mark. Um, Tina came to visit him, so he is busy right now. Um, but I'm excited because I do have a special guest. Um, next week, I'll get into what's been happening. It kind of feels funny by myself. So I'll do that when Mark is back. But I'm super, super excited about a guest um, that has been a friend of the show, a friend of myself, for a couple of years, um, we have Linnea Webb um, sitting here with me. She is from Montana, and I recently got to meet her in person. She came to our widow's retreat, and she actually got to stay at my house one night. So it was very fun to meet her. And when I heard her share her story in person with all the widows, um, well, before that, I had already wanted her to be on the podcast. But once I heard it in person, it was even more powerful. I really wanted you guys to meet her. Um, there's a lot of things that makes her story unique. She is the youngest widow we've ever interviewed um, on this show. And so I'm going to go ahead and let um, Linnea tell us a little bit about herself. So Linnea, first of all, thank you for being here. I know it can be nerve wracking to be on a podcast. So we really appreciate you being here. So I'd love if you could tell us uh, your story, how you met your husband, and then what life has been like since then. Um, yeah, um, so it's actually a really cute story how I met my husband. I love telling it. It like makes okay. me happy. Um, good memories. Um, we were actually 17 when we met, and we met in wow. high school. And uh, it was my senior year, and I was in a class that I had taken called Leadership, and um, – I had taken it because it was like really good for college applications and whatnot. So I was like, yeah, yeah like this will be, mm -hmm. this will be good. And um, of course, like all my friends were in it too. So that was kind of a little plus. Um, well, I was there for like the first half of the year. And then um, our school always does, I don't know how other schools work, but like we always do like uh, at the new year, um, kids can transfer in to that class or yeah. other classes, like mm -hmm. as you need to. Um and so Dan had transferred in to leadership class and um, I had no idea who he was. I remember they like had him stand up and they were like, oh, like this is Dan. He's our new transfer into the class. And, you know, I'm sitting at the table with all my friends like, OK, we cool. <laughs> and so then he so come to find out uh, his friends were actually friends with some of my friends. And okay. so uh, he had come over and he sat down at our table and um he it's like it's his first day and he comes and sits down and um I'm sitting there with my friends just hanging out and he like is like looking at me mm -hmm. and I was like uh okay <laughs> and so I'm I'm talking to my friends and he like stops me and he's like I'm I'm sorry he's like I just gotta like interrupt for a second he's like you have really beautiful eyes and like the whole the whole table just like stopped and looked at him and they were like "Ooh!" and I was like so embarrassed I was like oh my goodness okay <laughs> so I was like thank you I appreciate that and he was like yeah so then um like time went on and um at this time I was actually seeing somebody like we weren't officially mm -hmm. dating but I was talking to someone yeah and um I remember my friend came up to me in the school hallway and she was like uh Linnea I hear that Dan's asking people about you. Oh. And I was like, oh, well, I'm seeing somebody. And she's like, well, that's what we told him. We were like, well, she's she's like talking to someone right now. And then he had said back like, oh, well, is it like serious? Are they dating? And they were like, no, not yet. And he's like, okay, so like I have a chance. And so he had been asking um, 
my friends, like what I was like and um, all this stuff, just trying to get to know me like through other people. He was curious. And um, so I'd kind of like forgotten about that. Uh, we'd occasionally hang out. And um, I remember he ended up getting my phone number through like a class list mm-hmm. for leadership and would like casually text me something about school, like <laughs> as like an excuse. Um, so he had my number that way. And I remember it was Valentine's Day and uh, I was in class and I get a text message from uh, him that says, come into the hallway. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, like it's in the middle of class, but I'll, all right, all right. So I get up and go out into the hallway and um, he's like leaned up against a wall, like all like leaned up. And I come walking out and I was like, like, what's up? And he goes, well, um, I just want you to know, like, you've piqued my interest. Um, He's like, I think that you are an extremely interesting girl. And um, I really want to get to know you better. However, I was told you are seeing somebody, but I heard it wasn't official. And he goes, so this is me. Um, I'm tossing my hat into the ring, is what he said. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I mean, and I'm like the 17-year-old high school girl, like, right. Oh, okay. Like, sure. <laughs> and so then he claps his hands and his friend comes dancing around the corner with a rose, oh like one God. single rose. Yeah. <laughs> and he hands me this rose and he's like, this is me telling you I am very interested in you. Wow. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so I give him a hug, go back to class. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm seeing somebody. It's like, this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, and it didn't for a for a while. Um, I, and that night actually that guy had ended up asking me to be his girlfriend. So then we had officially started dating. Um, so then Dan just became like a best friend. Um, he and I became like really inseparable and we'd hang out all the time. Um, and I'd tell him everything and he'd tell me deep things and he just became such a, such a very, important part of my life and our friendship was like very dear to me Mm. um and then some things had happened with my family where uh, I was going through a really hard time and um I was I was just really struggling and he was there for me through it all like consistently Mm. and um just would always give such encouraging words and um he was just so loving towards me. And, um, I then realized that like I had feelings for him. So I ended things with the other dude that I was with and I decided like, I wanted to see where things go with him. So, um, then we started dating from there and we were together ever since. And, uh, yeah, we had just, we had just graduated high school when we became official. Oh, wow. And then how long did you date before you got married? We dated, six years oh wow before we got married yeah so we got married when I was 25 and we were together a total of nine years okay yeah tell me about your wedding what was it like um it was beautiful it was in Mm. Spokane and we had a really big venue and um all my family actually it was funny because my my whole my whole family came for this. They they all live in California and they bought plane tickets to come. Um, and my brother was in charge of picking them up at the airport, mm-hmm. and um, he forgot that oh, the no. time was uh, that the wedding was supposed to start at five. He thought it was uh-huh. six, so he took oh, them no. to 
uh, like out to eat or something. And oh, so goodness. we're, we're literally all lined up, ready to uh-huh. go. And we're waiting on my family and we're like, where are they? I call my brother. I'm like, where are you? He's like, oh, we're eating. I was like, what? Like, what? Oh my started. gosh. Like, yeah, I was like, everybody is sitting here. And he's like, I thought it was at five. And I was like, or six. And I was like, no. So um, my family ended up being late. They still made it. We held off for <laughs> yeah. an hour. Those poor oh, wow. guests. It was hot. Yeah. They all sat there. It was awful. I was so mad at my brother, but it was, it's now a funny story as to kind of back and laugh at it. But yeah. um, the day ended up being really beautiful. And then, um, after we were married, we had like a quick reception and then he and I went straight to the airport for our honeymoon and we left for our honeymoon at nine o'clock PM. Oh, so, wow. And where did you go? We went to the Caribbean. We went to a, a cruise. Nice. It was a seven day cruise and it was a, a cruise around the Caribbean. It was, it was so much fun. That's nice. And so then you come back from your honeymoon. What's your life like? What were you guys doing for work? Like what was your life as newlyweds? Um, I was a nanny for two little girls and two little boys and he was working hotel security at the biggest Mm -hmm. hotel in Spokane downtown Spokane so he was the security person and I mean life was it was good and um we've always been just like very connected and like inseparable yeah and so our bond just continued to go from there and um yeah things were good however we we did um and, and this kind of like plays a part into how we ended up moving to Montana, but we uh, decided we didn't want to stay in a big town. We wanted to end up mm-hmm. like raising a family in a small town and his dream was to move to Montana too. Okay. Um, so we were kind of like tossing ideas about that for a while, but yeah. Oh, nice. So then tell us about how he eventually passed away. So um, the story is long. <laughs> That's okay. We have time. All right. And I'm going to go through all the details. Um, I would say probably the best place to start is um, I I had always had this fear uh, my entire life growing up since I was, I can remember this being a fear since I was little um, that I would lose my husband or significant other, like legit it was a fear. Like I sat and would freak out about it. And I'd be like, I'd watch movies about someone losing their spouse. And I'd be like, Mm -hmm. no, like, that's not going to be me. Like I keep like, mm -mm." like it freaked me out. So, um, I actually did a little pact with myself about Uh it where I told myself in high school, um, I was never going to date anybody who was a police officer, a fireman, someone going into the military, anybody who had like, because like a dangerous job. I was yeah. like, no, like that will not be me. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to make sure that that doesn't yeah. happen. Um, so any guy that I had dated, I would like question them and ask them, yeah, plans of going into the military. And if they told me, <laughs> yes, I'd be like, well, wow. <laughs> sorry, you're not for me. I can't not, mm-hmm. not to say that those jobs are not honorable because they right. are so, okay. so much respect. But for me, like that is not the life that I wanted to live. And I like myself, I told myself that that's the one thing I could not handle. Like, right. give me anything else in this world. That, no, not mm-hmm. happening. So um, I remember, it, so Dan knew all these fears and we had been together at this point. I would say this was right before he moved to Montana, probably a year, a year or two prior. Mm-hmm. And I would say two years. Yeah, because he went to school for two years for this. He sat me down on the couch one night and he told me, I know 
your fears and like what we've talked about and how you said that that would never be um, a thing that you'd be okay with. And he's like, but uh, like, I'd be lying to myself and to you if I didn't like express this. Um, He's like, but I really have a dream um, recently of being a police officer. Oh, And I was like, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) And he sat down and he expressed just very deeply how much this was a passion of his and he really wanted to do it. And so at this point, like we're five years into our relationship, I'm like, okay, well, I can't, like, I'm not going to leave you now. Like this is too, I'm in too deep. Like, no. So I was like, and I didn't want to like stomp on his dreams either. Mm-hmm. So uh, I we had this discussion and I was like, okay, um, this is really hard on me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to support you the best mm-hmm. that I can. And he was like, okay. So he went to school to be a police officer, um, mm-hmm. was like the top of his class. Um, he was just so good at everything. And he was so honorable too. And I knew that he would make a good police officer. Well, around this time, we started hearing about uh, police shootings happening a lot. Mm. And police officers were dying a ton. And he was just about to graduate. And he was starting to put applications into big cities all over the Mm -hmm. place to apply for being a a police officer. And um, I started to like, panic, Mm -hmm. like hardcore, because I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is actually happening. And now all these police shootings are happening. Like, like, this is so so hard on me so i sat him down on the couch and i just like lost it i broke down crying and i was like i i I was like i know i said i would be supportive of this i was like but i can't like i can't i'm freaking out i can't Mm -hmm. handle it um i was like if something happened to you like i would i would lose my mind um and so he heard me like he cried too we sat and he like heard me and understood and he was like okay He's like, this is really hard news. He's like, obviously, because like I worked hard for this. And I was like, I like, I know, and I'm so sorry. Um, and he was like, well, um, we're going to have to pray about this because we don't have other options. He's like, this is what I went to school for. Right. We can't afford for me to go back. He's like, so God really has to open up some doors for this um, if this is the path I'm going to take. So we sat there on the couch and we prayed like really hard about what to do, that if if we were to um, have a different path with our lives, that God would provide it. Um, he, sa- he said that he would still, we agreed that he would still like slowly go forward with applying to, he said, smaller towns, um, but that if that we're relying on God to open doors, if that's what's going to happen. So I was like compromising on that, like, okay, like at least you, you're hearing me and we're talking about it and all right. So it was a week later, <laughs> literally a week later, um, Dan had a best friend uh, growing up who, uh, when he graduated high school, he got a degree in agriculture and he was living in small towns in Montana all across and was hopping to different small farms and would work on the ranch. Well, he found himself in Glendive, Montana. Um, and he got a job working for the John Deere Corporation there. And uh, he was the salesperson. And so this this prior this week after our conversation, we get a phone call from him. And he just his they always like talk on the phone and whatnot. So that wasn't odd. But the phone conversation was the peculiar one because he goes, hey, I've been thinking he's like, what would you think about packing up all your stuff and moving to Glendive? And we could like 
be buds wow. again and like you uh -huh. could come here and he's like there's a job opening at john deere here the place that i work for and i really think that you would be amazing for it wow. and um we were like uh okay and he's like come down come visit us meet the company they want to meet you talk to them if you guys decide you like the town and you want to move here like i'm sure the job is yours if like if they decide that yeah you're a good fit but just come down and see so he got off the phone he talked to me about it and we were like like oh my gosh maybe this yeah. is our answered prayer so we drove down there for a weekend and um he met the corporation and they loved him instantly and they were like the job is yours if you want it and we were we were only there for two days too so this was our last day and it was a sunday and i remember who we were laying in bed talking about it and he was like like we can do this like this is mm. like this is and it was good pay and um he's like this is what we've been wanting it's even in montana like we can start our family mm. um like it'd be great like this is great this is our answered prayer and so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is happening so fast. But I mean, yeah, it is an answered prayer. Um, so I was like, OK, but but one problem, how like, where are we going to live? Like, we don't have a house. And he's like, OK, well, like, let's pull up the like a page on Facebook or something with the town and see if there's any like openings for houses for rent. We can go look at them today. And I was like, okay. So we found several, several people wow. and um, we called their, the numbers and we went and saw about four houses and every single house was just a dead end. It wasn't mm -hmm. good. And so we were like, crap. Well, um, it was about six o'clock that night, Sunday night, and we were going to leave early the next morning. And I get a call from um, a place that I had left a message at earlier and they were like, hey, got your message. Um, you guys are looking for a house. We have one you can come look at right now if you would like. And so we're like, okay. And him and I were driving on our way there. And we were thinking this is just going to be another dead end. Like it's it's not going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we were all kind of like slumpy about it. Well, we show up, we look at the house and we're like, oh, like this is a, this is a good house. Like this could be our home. And then they go, actually you know what? He's like, we like you guys so much. He's like, you guys just seem like wonderful people. He's like, if you take the house, we'll knock off a hundred dollars off rent for you. And nice. he's like, we'll keep your spot until you need to come down here, like for the next month or two, however long it takes. And you guys will, will drop the rent for you as well. Wow. And we were like, <laughs> okay. So we shook their hands. We went back home and, um, we quit our jobs, packed up our stuff in that month span, and we moved to wow. Glendive, Montana, which was a huge adjustment because we we're used to living in a big, big city. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a small town of 6,000 people, very oh, tiny. Wow. Uh -huh. um, so he started his job working there. Um, and I found a job working at the daycare center there because mm -hmm. I had the, lots of childcare experience prior to that. And um, what was so great about our move to Montana was the people that we connected with and the friendships that I made, like, oh my gosh, totally a God thing, like mm -hmm. wholeheartedly, because um, these people became like family to me and um, everybody was just so supportive and um, the connections were just so beautiful and deep, like something I wouldn't have gotten in Spokane. Like, don't get me wrong. 
I love my friends in Spokane and there's wonderful yeah. people there, but like the, the aspect of the small community, just like coming together and everyone just being so supportive, like that was something that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, so that started our adventure living in Glendive. Um, the next thing that took place was um, Dan got sick and it was, he had the flu and so he had the flu for like a good week and he was having like really bad diarrhea and like it wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And so um, Dan's boss had actually lost his brother to colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And so I guess one of the symptoms was like diarrhea for like a certain amount of time. And so he was all paranoid about it and told Dan, like, go to the hospital, just make sure you're okay. So Dan was like, I'm I'm fine. Like, no, it's not colon cancer. Mm-hmm. It's just the flu. I'll, I'll be okay. And he was like, just go to like put my mind at ease. Mm. So Dan goes to the hospital to get checked out for this flu. Well, when they hook him up to the EKG or whatever they call it with the heart yeah. monitors and mm-hmm. stuff, um, the nurse was like looking at it and she was like, uh, hold on, I'll be right back. And so she goes, grabs a doctor, comes back, they start doing like vitals and they were like, we need to fly you to Billings. And Dan was like, "Uh, why? And they were like, because your heart rate is resting heart rate at 190. And they were like, that is, yeah, they were like, that is not normal. The normal resting heart rate should be anywhere from like, I believe it's like 70, 80 to 90s. Like it should not be that high. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Dan was like, "Mm, okay, well, So they take him to Billings and they run a bunch of tests on him and they figure out that he has an extremely rare heart condition for, especially for his age. The doctor, I remember us sitting in the, um, in the room and he was like looking at his charts and stuff. And he's like, this is insane. He's like, I've been a doctor for a very long time. And he's like, and I've seen all sorts of patients with this. He's like, you are the youngest patient I have ever seen with this heart condition. He's like, this heart condition is seen in like 70 year old and older people. Mm-hmm. He's and like, so the fact was Dan, Dan was 27 okay, and I was 26. So, um, or I guess at this time he might've been, he, I think this was a year prior. So he okay. was, he was diagnosed with this at 26 years old Wow, and I was 25. Um, so he was like, this is just insane. Um, so he, he gave us like a game plan and he's like, we're going to put you on these, uh, heart meds. And, um, eventually what I have planned is I'm going to shock your heart back into rhythm and we're, you're going to do, we're going to do surgery on you and we're going to get you all good. So we were like, okay. So for a while he was on these meds and he did like a bunch of stress tests. And, um, finally it was time for his appointment. He went in, um, they went, they put him under and they shocked his heart back into rhythm and they told him that uh, his heart was fine now to go on living his life as normal, uh, mm-hmm. that there should be no more complications, um, at least until he's older. If like if it comes back, like sometimes they said it comes back, but it shouldn't until he's older. Um, and so they sent us on our way. So, oh, and they had also said to us that they were going to start taking him off his medication because he didn't need to be on it anymore. So we were like, great. Cause he was like, I don't want to be on this medication for the rest of my right. life. Like that was something he was really upset about. So when they had told him, um, we're going to take you off this, he was like, sweet. So he did like a, 
gradual, like they did a gradual um, thing to take him off of it, to slowly mm -hmm. back out of it. Um, well, he was good for about six months. And then um, his heart went back into AFib again. Okay. And um, he was, he went back to, he went up to the hospital and they did his tests and his heart was back up to almost 200 resting heart oh. rate. And um, so Dan was like really, really upset about it. And um, he ended up going to church that night. It was a Wednesday night and it was like a, they do like a Sunday and Wednesday kind of like service for people who can't always make it on Sundays. And Dan would go to both. And so he went to this um, church service and on this, at this church service, they were talking about healing. And um, he had gone up there for some prayer and he said that they were praying over him and whatnot. And then he said that he just like, which is like crazy to me. Cause I'm like, what? And this was like a crazy experience to him too. Cause he was just like, so like, what? Um, he ended up like falling down on the ground and was like laying on his back. And he said that, and this was his words. He said that when he was laying there, he could feel his heart because he could tell when he was in AFib. He could mm -hmm. feel it beating extremely yeah. fast. And then he and he said that he was like stressed and like there was a lot of uncomfortable emotions. And then he said then suddenly like this blanket of peace just fell over him completely. Wow. And he, he said that he felt like he could feel God reach down and touch his heart with his wow. finger. And then instantly his heart was back to normal. Like he was like, I'm like, I'm fixed. Like it is not an AFib anymore. So he got up and was like freaking out and like came wow. to me and was like, I'm like, I'm, I'm healed. Like I, I'm not an AFib anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, no, it doesn't work like that. He's like, no, I, I, he's like, I promise you. He's like, I'm going to the hospital tomorrow. I will get tested done and I will prove to you. I am no longer an AFib. So he did. He went up to the hospital and he goes up to the same doctor and nurse that he had just done the day before. And he goes, run these tests on me again. And they were like, okay. And he's like, I, I promise you, I am. He's like, I don't know how to explain it. He's like, but all I know is um, I am not an AFib anymore. And he, he told his story to the nurse to what had just happened. And I remember she was like, okay. She's like, well, let, let's find out. Yeah. But he runs her tests and she was like, she looks at it and she looks up at him and she's like, you're right. Wow. Your, your heart is completely fine. And he goes, can I have um, the paper? And she goes, sure. So she prints the piece of paper out for him that shows his heart rate and, and that he's not in AFib. Wow. And he had it kept in his wallet and everywhere he went with oh, him. That's amazing. And, um, after that, he had like this completely change of like perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. I remember we were in the car and um, we were talking about the experience and like how crazy it was. And I asked him, I was like, are you like, are you scared at all? Because it, like it came back. Like, are you afraid that that's going to happen again? And he goes, oh, it's probably going to make me emotional. But he goes, mm -hmm. Linnea, I fear nothing anymore. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I just felt the fact that God can touch my heart with just a finger and heal me instantly. He's like, I there is no reason for me to feel fear, life or death anymore. He's like, I have full confidence that God knows 
exactly what he's doing. And um, he's like, whether I live 50 more minutes or 50 years, I know that I belong to him mm-hmm. and that everything is safe. How, how could I be afraid? And I remember just sitting there and hearing that. And I was like, wow, like, that's crazy. And he said he wanted to preserve the time that he had left here on earth, whether how long it was that he lived, that it didn't matter anymore. He had no, Mm. no worries anymore. So I was like, okay. So then like time had gone on and things were good. Um, He wasn't in AFib anymore. And um, we had gone on a ton of like about four months prior to his death. Um, we had been going on a lot of like getaways together um, to like bond and we were going out of town like every weekend to different places. And he had come to me and was like, Hey, like Easter weekend is approaching. Um, Do you want to go to Deadwood, South Dakota for um, Easter? And we'll stay the weekend there. Um, Deadwood was a place that we had spent our honeymoon And um, it's a little small town in South Dakota that's like really old timey, old fashioned, um, super big historic town. Um, It was a mining town for a really long time, but there's like a lot of rich history. And Dan was like a huge nerd. (laughs) So he (laughs) loved the rich history. It was like a kid at Christmas for him. So I was like, yeah, like we can totally go there. Like that sounds fun. So he um, gets us a hotel in the heart of Deadwood and, um, we and we pack up our stuff and we head. Um, I believe it was yep Friday Friday night, um, or sorry Friday morning. We head to Deadwood. It's a four-hour drive from Glendive, and um, Dan and I really loved car rides together. Uh, one of the best things we ever did was. Um, our, our little road trips because mm-hmm. he and I connected on a way that we were able to get really deep and talk about like so much stuff. And I loved that about our relationship. Yeah. Like I'm a really deep person. So mm-hmm. it was nice to have that with him. Um, I remember on our way there, um, Dan was really into C.S. Lewis. He was like on a C.S. Lewis kick. And I had thought of a book that I had read um, in high school that I thought he'd really like. And um I wanted to get it on audiobook so that we could listen to it on our way up to Deadwood. So I grabbed his phone and for some reason I had forgot, I like spaced his passcode. And so he's driving. And so I was like, oh crap, like what's your passcode? And so he tells it to me and then he goes, he's like literally, this is like so crazy to me. He stops, he looks at me and he goes, remember this passcode because if something ever happens to me, this is the key to our lives is legit what he said. And I was like this. Yeah. And this was the day before he died one day prior. And so I was like, as he said that, I was like, okay, like took a note of it, but like, didn't think much of it. Like, all right, Dan, just being Dan, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we head on our way to Deadwood and um, we listened to the audio book and it was just a great time. I remember we were like holding hands the whole way and it was just it was so, I remember being like, like, feel, like actively thinking to myself how happy I felt. Um, so we got to Deadwood. We had dinner and then we spent the night there. And the next morning was like, so this would have been his last day, um, but we didn't know it. Um, 
sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it is a definite raw story, so yeah. bear with me. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, it was the night before Easter, Easter morning. It was Saturday, and um, I remember I woke up, and he wasn't there next to me. And I looked over at my phone and there was a text message and he said, uh, I went to go get, so Dan was a morning person and I was not. He yeah. loved, <laughs> breakfast was his favorite meal of the day. And I didn't care about breakfast ever. And so he knew that. So he, his text message to me was, um, you were sleeping, didn't want to wake you, went down for breakfast, be back soon. And I was like, okay. So I'm like laying in the hotel bed, like all comfy and, and the, it's beautiful outside. I remember it being like bright and sunny. And I was like, yeah, like today's going to be so much fun. Um, he comes back into the room and um, he has a coffee for me and he gives it to me and he jumps on the bed like a kid at Christmas. He's all excited. And he got this brochure from downstairs and he was like, here is um, uh, an itinerary of things that we can do. What kind of things do you want to do? So we planned our day and half of it was all about seeing the historic sites and the museums so that he could just nerd out over it. Um, I remember we walked the day thinking that it was, it was seriously so beautiful and sunny, mm. um, and warm, especially because like over in Montana and South Dakota, like it's cold, but today, but yeah. this day it was so pretty. Um, we were holding hands and I remember we got a massage and after the massage, he told me this was the best massage he's ever had. Um, that night we ate at his favorite, he was on, he was on an Irish food kick, right? Mm -hmm. When he died too. I don't know why he was like so interested in Irish food, but we found it like a little Irish pub there and he was like so excited. So he had his little like Irish food and um, then we did another tour and what was interesting about this is this would have been probably two hours before his death. And we're walking, we're, we're on this tour and it's ending and we're about to go back to the hotel. And I remember he was like, like he always looked at me and would stare at me and just tell me I was beautiful and stuff. But like this time it was like different. He was, he was like looking at me with this like look that was like, so different and I remember I looked at him and I was like why do you keep looking at me so much mm -hmm. and he was like playing with my hair too like I'd be looking at stuff and he'd like grab my hair and just like play with it mm -hmm. and I, I just like I remember it being weird because <laughs> I was like you don't normally do it this much or excessively and there was just something about it yeah and he was like his answer back to me because we were walking back to the hotel holding hands when I mentioned this to him and he was like, I just love seeing you so happy. Mm -hmm. And um, I just can't get over the fact of how lucky I am and how much I love you. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> it's just, sorry. <laughs> A very precious, raw moment for me to remember, you know? Because it was one of our last moments and I didn't know. Um, so we started our journey back to the hotel, holding hands, talking about how great our day was. And he had told me that um, 
we had we got back to our hotel and I remember we were laying on the bed and I was laying in his arms and he was talking about how um this was the best day he said this this is probably one of my top 10 best days I have ever had with you um he's like it was literally perfect from the moment we woke up to the moment now and um, so then um we went to go take a shower and um I remember and I remember looking at the clock too right before we went into the bathroom and the clock read 10 44 and I was like thinking to myself I can't wait to like crawl back into bed and go to sleep and just be like warm and cozy um we got in the shower and I remember feeling like hot and then I was like okay like I'm I'm done in this shower. Like, I don't want to be in here anymore. Like, let's get out. Um, but he didn't answer me. And I was like, Dan, hello. <laughs> and at this point, I remember, because I had gone to turn around to turn the shower off. And I remember I turned back around. And he, at this point, was on his knees on the shower. Mm. And um, he wasn't saying anything. And I remember, like, looking at him. And I was like, "Are you, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I remember he just had this like blank stare on his face and he was like shaking his head at me, but not saying anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you overheating? Like, is something like, is it too hot in here? Cause that was my first thought. So I like, I got out of the shower. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about turning the shower off either. So I hadn't done that, but I got out of the shower. I opened up the shower doors to like give him some air and I had him like sit down. And so he sat down back against the shower wall and um, he still wasn't answering me or talking. And he, I uh, turned on the water on the sink and I was like going like this to him, like trying to get air in. I remember I opened up the bathroom door to get like more air in. And um, I turned the water to cold, like a little bit colder so it wasn't so hot. And I remember uh, he started to like, it looked, it, to me, it looked like he was having an asthma attack um because he he started like gasping and like wasn't breathing and um he was going unconscious and I, I remember I sat there and I was like slapping his face and I was like Dan like Dan stay with me like what's going on like what is happening and um he wasn't answering me and he'd go back to being unconscious and I remember I grabbed a cup of water from the sink and splashed it on him and it would wake it would wake him up for a second he would like come to and then he would go right back into being unconscious and I would do and I kept doing this over and over again and then I was like oh my god like something's seriously wrong so I grabbed my phone off the counter and I called 911 and I was freaking out and I was like something's wrong something's wrong I don't I don't know what's going on she um asked me to tell her what happened so I told her what happened prior and um she was like okay I, she's like I'm sending an ambulance on their way to you right now um, she's like, but I need you to run out into the, cause I couldn't, I remember I couldn't think like I couldn't, I couldn't tell her where I was. Like I did, I couldn't remember the hotel I was in. I was like freaking out. Um, she's like, I need you to tell me what room you're in. And I was like, I don't know what room I'm in. And she's like, you need to go look. So I left the bathroom and I went and opened up, um, the door and found the number and I came back in and as soon as I stepped back into the bathroom I remember I looked up at him and he was looking up at me 
And then in that moment, I watched him die and he was gone. And I started freaking out. And I remember I was screaming and I was telling the 911 operator that he just died. Like he's dead. I was like, he's dead, he's dead, he's he's gone. Like, oh my gosh, like I just like and she's like, Are you sure? And I was like, Yes, like there's no doubt in my mind. Like I just watched it go. Like he's not there anymore. And she was like, I need you to start CPR on him now. And I was like, I like I was like, I don't know what like I, I had taken CPR training, but at this point, like my brain was so like I didn't know what to do. And she was like, You need to get him on his back first like like flat on his back because he was up against the shower and um so I turned the shower off and I got into the shower and I remember I I grabbed his legs and I was trying to pull him and pull pull his body flat to his back um but I mean it was it was dead body weight and it was so heavy and it was slippery too so like I couldn't I was slipping and I couldn't pull him and um, I kept telling her, I was like, I can't, like, I can't move him. He is too heavy. And I mean, Dan, Dan was a, a six foot four, huge mm. man, like ginormous. So I was like, there's like, there's no way, like, this is not, this isn't working. She's like, and it was taking too long like this. And I was like, I don't know, like, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, is there like a ledge or anything on the shower? And I was like, yeah, there's like a tiny, cause it wasn't a bathtub. It was just a, a ledge. She's like, okay, pull the door. And she's like, flip him over on onto his back over off the ledge. So I remember I got out and I went the other way and I was trying to pull his body up and over the ledge. And oh my God, it was just, it was horrifying. <laughs> horrifying and so then she's like you need to start CPR now she's like wherever he is wherever he's laying you need to start it and so she told me what to do and I remember I was trying and I was trying and it felt like forever and I was screaming at her and I was telling her that um that this was taking too long and that I can't do this and that it wasn't working and where are the paramedics and I remember at that point I'd like just like lost it even further and I just started screaming. I started screaming for God to help me and to save him. I kept saying, please, please save him. Like I can't, I can't do this. And then at that point I heard the knock on the door and I went to open it and they came in and they grabbed him off the shower and I remember they moved him to the hotel floor and at this point I like dove behind the hotel bed on the other side and I sat I remember I sat on my knees at the bed freaking out because what was happening to me is like I felt like first of all when like going back into the bathroom the moment Dan died it was like a, an experience I couldn't, I can't like even begin to explain because the amount of fear and evil and um, horror that filled the room in that second um, was insane. Like I have never been so afraid in my entire life. Like it was like horrifying and so back when I was laying on the or kneeling on the ground at the hotel bed, I remember I felt like 
pain just shoot through my entire body. Like pain was going through my fingertips and my joints were aching and like um, my body was cramping like everywhere. And I thought I was dying. Like I, I legit sat there and was like, I'm having a heart attack. Like I am dying right now. And, um, but I couldn't like bring the words to ask for help because I was in so much shock. And I remember I just like crawled up. I crawled up on the hotel floor in fetal position and just sat there with like the, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And I remember thinking, I am alone. And I'm so scared and I don't know what to do. And um, it was then that um, I felt two hands grab mine. And I remember I looked up and there was a police officer holding my hands and he was laying on the floor with me. And he goes, what is your name? And I, I remember trying to say it, but like nothing came out. Like I couldn't speak. And he was like, what is your name? And I remember I tried again and I, and I said it, I said, Linnea. And he goes, Linnea, look at me right here in my eyes. And I remember it was so hard to make eye contact. Like it was like my body just couldn't, like it wasn't able to do it. But I remember I, I kept trying to like look at him in his eyes and he was holding my hands and he looked at me in the eyes and he goes, my name is Aaron. And he's like, and I'm here for you. And you are not alone. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I want you to know that no matter what happens, you are going to be okay. And in that moment, like, I needed to hear that because I thought I wasn't going to be okay. Like, I needed somebody to be able to, on a human level, like, connect with me and tell me that I was going to be all right. And so he's, he laid there with me for, I don't even know how long, but he was like talking, just talking about his life and like who he was. And I remember feeling so comforted. And I remember thinking like, please don't leave me, like do not leave. And then suddenly he was like, um, Linnea, they have taken Dan to the hospital. I need you to get up and get some some warm clothes on and I'm gonna take you there. And so I was like, okay. And so I got dressed and I remember he was like, this is super important. He's like, when we pass by the bathroom, he's like, I don't want you to look. I want you to look, he pointed to his shoulder. He's like, you will look, he's like, you see the name officer across my back. He's like, I want you to stare at that and that only. And he's like, let's go. So I followed him and, we were in the car and he drove me to the hospital and they put me in the waiting room and um, he sat there with me. And then um, the doctor came out and she she said, are you Linnea? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I'm so sorry. She's like, but we couldn't save your husband. And I remember like, when she told me those words, I was like, because in my head, I kept telling myself, like, I was in so much denial, even though I had just watched him die. I told myself over and over again, I was like, it's going to be okay. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's fine. Like, they're going to revive him. He He's not gone. 
I was like, it's going to be, it's going to be all right. We're going to go back home to the hotel and tonight, and we're going to lay in bed and laugh about this whole thing and talk about how it was such a crazy experience, but we're going to be okay. That's, that's what I kept telling myself. I was like, this is not, this is not happening to me right now. It's not. Um, so when she told me that I was like, no. And I, I feel so bad about this too, because I, I yelled at her and I was like, no, you, you, he's not dead. I was like, you get to, you're going to go back in there and you're going to keep trying because he's, he's going to come back. And I remember the look, the look on her face too. She just stood there looking at me in, in silence and said nothing. And she goes, she goes like, I'm so sorry we we did all we could there is no going back in there and and then at that point I remember I just like I lost it and I I fell on the ground and I remember I started throwing up and they handed me a garbage can and then I remember the police officer came over and put his arms around me and he was like can we take her to a room please and um, they were like, yeah, sure. So they brought me back to this room and I sat in this chair. And um, I remember someone popped up on his radio saying that he needed to go or there was something. And um, at this point, they had called um, somebody on my phone. One of my recent contacts just happened to be one of my closest friends and my boss at work um, to come and get me. So she was driving as fast as she could on her way to come and get me, but I was going to be left here in this, you know, this hospital room all by myself. And um, I remember the, the officer saying, um, I'm going to stay with this girl for as long as I can. And he sat, I remember he legit pulled up a chair and sat there with me. And I, I wasn't like really answering back because I couldn't, like I was just like in a daze, but I remember he just sat there and like talked and talked and talked and talked <laughs> about um, everything. He, I remember his entire life story <laughs> and how he grew up on a farm and was just for probably about two hours out of the four, cause it takes four hours to get to Deadwood from where we were. Um, and then finally he said to me, he's like, I'm so sorry. I wish I could stay longer, but I have to go now. And I remember thinking like, no, 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 no. Like you can't leave me. And so then he, he left and a nurse came in and she was like, hi, I was just wondering if you would like some heated blankets. And I was like, and I remember I just like nodded my head and I was like, yeah. And so she kept, she came in and she wrapped me up in these warm blankets and um, she would sit and talk to me for a bit and then she would walk out and come back. And um, I remember then she came in and she sat down with me and um, she took my hand and she goes, have you told his mom and dad? And I was like, no, no, like this just happened. Like, no, I have not. And then like that hit me too. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to tell his mom and dad. Like I have to, that is also going to happen. Like I ha oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? I can't do that. And 
Um, I remember I just started sobbing and was like, what am I like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And she's like, she goes, well, Nan, it's just funny that all of this, they all say the same thing. They go, you're not alone. I'm here with you. And I will be here with you while you make this phone call. And I will hold your hand the entire way. So she's this nurse sat and held my hand. And I made the phone call to his mom and dad and told them that, that Dan had just died. And I had to hear them just lose their mind on the phone and break down crying. And I remember his mom had said, um, what are we going to do? Like, what am I going to do? And um, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And my heart just not only broke for what I was going through, but then his mom and dad. And then I thought about his brother and his entire family and his best friend. And oh my gosh, it was horrible. So then at that point, the the nurse had to go. And so I was by myself in the hospital room. And I remember that being one of the worst experiences of my entire life. Because I remember just staring at the hospital wall blankly just like and and all of these emotions were just like hitting me and I couldn't like handle them and I didn't know how to handle them (laughs) and so it was horrible I remember I called my friend who was on her way and um I was like where are you where are you like I can't do this I need you to hurry up like I can't be here any longer and she was like I know I know I'm trying like I'm, I'm driving as fast as I can Um, she finally made it to me and, um, I remember I, she took her, she had her mom with her. So her mom drove, um, our, me and Dan's pickup back and I rode with her, with Chanel, um, in her car. And, um, I remember she, she told me as we were driving back home, um, we, the roads, to um deadwood are like back really back country mm-hmm. roads um with like open field and whatnot and she had driven all night so at this point like dawn was breaking um it was like five o'clock in the morning and we were headed back home and i remember we were driving on the road and as we were driving on the road um there was a deer everywhere like all on the road all on the sides of the, like tons like the most deer I think I've ever seen like I was like holy crap and so I didn't think anything of it and then she like chuckles and she's like this is this is insane I was like why and she was like because getting here she's like driving in the middle of the night she's like I was on the road it was pitch black out and we know that deer are all over the road and she's like, I don't know how I was supposed to get to you in time and go as fast as I could. She's like, I was going a hundred miles per hour to get to you. And she's like, and I was praying the entire time, God, keep the deer off this wow. road. And she goes, and the, the entire way we did not see one single deer wow. on the road. And she's like, and now that it is daylight and we can see the deer are everywhere. There and they were all over the road. We had to stop like five or six times for like five deer just standing on the road. Wow. And she was like, it was almost like God parted the Red Sea mm-hmm. for you to get through and get to me. And so, like, that was wild to me. So I was like, that's crazy. 
And then I remember as we were driving, um, one of the hardest parts about going through grief, um, especially when you first lose somebody, um, was all the memories were like pouring through at once. Like I was being bombarded with like so much stuff. And then the remind the memory of him telling me about his passcode entered into my head. Mm. And I was like, like, that is insane. Like, and then remembering him looking at me in our last days and like all of the things that like my entire life leading up to this was like flashing into my head of like, what? Like, it was, it was insane. And I was just so, I was in so much shock with that too. Cause I was like, that isn't the, like, what is, what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so another crazy part is when we got back home, um, somebody called my family and um, my brother and whatnot and talked to them. And the crazy thing is, so my mom and dad live in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, and this was when COVID was still like kind of around. And um, you had to get COVID tested before you could leave the, the uh, Costa Rica to come into the oh. States. So when they told my parents that like I, what had happened, my dad just so, so my brother lives in Spokane, but my dad just so happened to be in the States when oh, Dan wow. died for a pickleball tournament in Florida. So when he got the news, he didn't have, he had already taken the COVID test. He was already yeah. in the States so he could get to me quicker. My mom, on the other hand, couldn't. Um, it took her several days to get to me. She did the rapid COVID test. Everything went wrong when she tried to get to me. It was horrible. But my brother drove, in, hopped in his car right away when he found out and drove all the way across mm -hmm. state to come and be with me. And then my dad was able to make it the following day. Um, so I had my dad and brother there with me the first two days after Dan's death. Um, Sadly, my mom wasn't able to be there, but it's crazy to me to think that I wouldn't have even had my dad if he hadn't happened to be in the States at that exact time. Like he had literally just gotten there the day before. Wow. So it was just like, like the timing was like so perfect. And like looking back on it in hindsight is crazy because I see God working through the entire situation the entire way like he was preparing so many different things and setting it up so you know that he'd show me that he's he was there because yeah. I needed that <laughs> um I remember the day after Dan died waking up the next morning and um sitting on the edge of my bed and I remember thinking to myself, there's no way I can do this. I was, I was being hit with so much pain and emotion that I didn't even knew existed. Like the, like I, I've lost people before I've uh, lost a friend and I've lost a grandparent. And like, I thought I understood, mm -hmm. um, grief and pain and this was just a whole new level of pain that I was so shocked by like they don't I guess there is I mean there isn't really any preparing anybody for it either like it's just it's crazy but I remember thinking there is no way I could do this and I remember being angry 
I was angry at God because I was like, why would you do this to me? Like, especially in that way, like I was alone. I was far away from home. Like I, I was there when he died. Like this was horrible and I was mad and I couldn't understand. And so that was super hard on me in the beginning. And in that moment, I remember feeling so upset and sorry for myself and angry about the entire thing. And in a split second, I like changed my mood and was like, it like almost became like a stubborn, fiery, like part of me that just kind of like settled in and was like, you know what? No. I remember thinking there, you are not going to let this ruin you and you are going to get back up off the ground and you are going to fight your way through this. And at that moment, it was like an imagery of, I felt like I was running to God's feet and clinging to his leg like a child to their father's leg. Like that is exactly what it felt like. It was like, I have no idea what you're doing right now. (laughs) I have no idea what your plan is. I don't like it but I am going to sit here and hug the crap out of you (laughs) of your foot and hope for the best, you know? (laughs) Um, And so that moment changed the entire course of my widowhood going forward. Um, I was still upset. Don't get me wrong. Did I still not understand 100%? (laughs) Was I still mad? Yeah, I was. But I trusted and I I told myself that God has a plan. And I went I kept going back and forth to the memory of his death during this time and one of the things that I remember most was I remember when Dan died and I was crying out to God and I remember thinking where are you what are like what are you doing um oh, I just lost my train of thought I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um Oh yeah, I thought I thought to myself in that moment that God made a mistake mm-hmm. when God died or when Dan died. I was like mm-hmm. like no, you messed up. Like like in my head I was thinking you, you weren't looking. Like you weren't paying attention. Where like where were you? You you weren't there to save him and now like now it's the end. Like what what happened? You messed up. God made a mistake when when Dan died is what I kept thinking. Mm-hmm. And when I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I remember all these emotions going Dan's voice popped into my head and it was something that Dan used to say to me all the time and his answer back to me was Linnea God does not make mistakes Mm. and in that moment when I like that realization that hit me was like you know what this is true and if he doesn't make mistakes it means that there is a plan that he knew that this was coming, that he's there for me, that he's not going to leave and that there is something bigger out there that I just can't see because God doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that, so like that, that was like hammer on the head right there where I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, here we go. So, um, From then, it was about three days after his death, we traveled back to Spokane for his funeral. Mm. And um, funeral preparations was horrible. There is nothing I can, there is no preparing anybody for that really. Like, um, it's awful. Um, All the stuff you have to deal with, all the paperwork, all of the, um, all the, funeral home arrangements Mm -hmm. and figuring out if you're going to cremate them or bury them. And like in that moment, 
I mean, I'm sure everybody here can um, relate, but like when you are in that much grief and pain, like you can't think Mm -hmm. or make decisions at all. So like having to make so many so soon was awful. Um, It was incredibly stressful and I hated it. And you're in like this crazy brain fog too. Yeah. So you're like, how, like how? Luckily, I did have a lot of people who who helped, and that that was wonderful. So, anyways, the sorry, it's just caught on me. <laughs> okay. Um, funeral prep- preparations were really hard, and um, yeah. I remember I I made the video for him for his memorial, and then mm. I spoke at it, and I gave a speech, um, about him and God, and what was really crazy and and we shared obviously like Dan's faith and there were a lot of people there who weren't Christians or um, believers and the after effect from the funeral was crazy to me and it just kind of set in motion the realization how God was is going to work through this Um, because from the get-go I had after my speech I had people coming up to me and pulling me aside and I was getting Facebook messages of people saying I don't necessarily believe in God but now you have my entire curiosity peaked wow. I had some people saying that um they used to fear death and now they no longer do and mm-hmm. that I brought like a piece to them and like Dan's story and everything about like his because I shared the heart story too with at the funeral and um there was also a person who shared who shared Dan's story with a coworker who apparently had needed prayer, who wasn't a Christian. And he said the guy just bawled his eyes out and he wow. sat there and prayed over him over this thing. And like that this, his story was touching different people's life, mm-hmm. um, which was so crazy because I was like, wow, like, all right. So like, it's working. Like he's, he's doing works through what has happened um so then one of the the next interesting things that took place is we went back home and the funeral was over and you know you start to get back to your life Mm -hmm. and um man that's awful yeah so you were 26 at the time is that right 26 yes 26 wow yeah and he was 27 when this happened too so yeah we were very young um the getting back to normal life was really hard. And I remember not being able to get out of bed. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I wasn't eating. Um, it was horrible. My mom did stay with me though for two months after his death. And so she was there taking care of me and, um, helping me get out of bed and making Mm -hmm. me take walks and stuff. Um, I remember there was one morning that, uh, I, in particular was having a really hard time getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. Um, I just couldn't like the pain was just, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to move. I was just laying there and my mom was like, we like, you need to get up. Like, this isn't good for you. Um, And she's like, what if we like go for a walk or we do this? And like, none of it sounded like, like I just wanted to lay there. And she's like, okay, well, as you lay there, she's like, just for a little bit, I'm not going to let you stay there forever. She's like, but you can lay there for a little bit. And as you do that, I'm going to like go through your room and like organize some stuff for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, mom, like go do what you want. So she starts going through my stuff and she finds on the very top of my shelf, a book and she picks it up. She's like, oh, what's this? 
And I was like, oh, that was a book you sent to me like probably four years ago. And I just, I forgot it was there. I had no idea. Like I, I didn't even know where it went, but apparently it's been up on that shelf and I didn't know. And she was like, oh, she's like, I don't really remember this book. And the book was called Hope in the Dark. Mm-hmm. And she goes, um, well, how about we read this book? We don't, we didn't know what it was about. And um, she was like, but, it, but like, maybe it's good. Like, we, you know, get your mind off of it. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And she's like, I want you to read. Like, you read to me out loud. Mm-hmm. And so we laid there on the bed and I started reading. And the very first sentence is, this book isn't for everybody. But if you have found yourself in a complete position of pain and grief and sadness and loss, this book is for you. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like what? Wow. So like, this God book... just placed it there. Like... Oh yeah. Like <laughs> the timing was so perfect. Yeah. You know, he, he, he used my mom yeah. like essentially as a vessel to send this book to me years ago, knowing yeah. that it would take place and work perfectly in this moment mm-hmm. for me to read exactly when I needed it. Wow. So we continued to read this book and oh my gosh, like I just sobbed because the book was about someone who has gone through grief and loss and how God is still present and there for you. And it goes through, like it takes you through all these verses and chapters in the Bible of hard times that people have been through and um, things where where they've lost someone, like it talked about Job and... um, Mm -hmm. And how Job was faithful through the whole thing and how God was there. Um, it was just such comfort mm. because to me, it was like God was showing me in these little areas, like I'm right here. I'm right here. Like I am like, I did yeah. like, this is, this happened, but I'm here. Yes. You're not alone. And so that, it, that was just peace to me. Mm. Um, lots of comfort through that aspect. Um. And then the next, one of the next crazy things was um, I was having really bad night terrors mm. after Dan died where I was reliving the death over and over again yeah. and I couldn't sleep. And I was, uh, my mom said I would wake her in the middle of the night, shaking her, screaming Dan's name, saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And she'd mm. have to slap me awake and be like, you're okay. And I'd just be like, like it was horrible. Oh. And I was so afraid of these dreams. And um, some of them I would remember and then they would follow with me through the entire day. Like it was so awful. And I just wasn't sleeping and it was, wow. it was just bad. So I remember one night um, I was crying myself to sleep and I just couldn't And so I opened up my Facebook page and I went on to the page and I had typed into the the church page that I needed prayer, that somebody Mm. to please pray for me because I just was not okay. And in that moment, I got tons of people commenting, saying, we're here, we're praying for you, right? And I remember I was like laying on my uh, phone, like reading this. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up and it was morning. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I slept through the entire night, nothing. And I didn't even have a dream, no dreams, no nothing. I, it was just a peaceful, solid sleep and I was out. It was, it was crazy. And so I woke up and 
I looked on my Facebook page again and I saw a quote that somebody had posted that said, pay attention to the love notes that God sends you Mm -hmm. throughout the day through other people, because God puts on other people's hearts, um, love and to do certain things for other people that can like, that he knows are hurting to help someone else. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, (laughs) sweet. So then as I went on through my day that day, um, I I was having a hard time because um, I had just, what was it? I had done something at the bank that had closed Dan's account and it was really hard. Um, and I remember I broke down and uh, was at work and just like had to step away because I was just losing my mind. And um, somebody, one of my co-workers slash uh actually she wasn't my friend at this time she did she was very new to working there and so we weren't very close but she was a co-worker well she walks in with a big bouquet of flowers for oh, me wow. and hands them to me and she's like I just thought that you could use a smile so um wow. I brought you these flowers and then another another person who doesn't even work there shows up to the daycare with a ton of goodies like, um, there were, she had brought in flowers. She made me a t-shirt. She wrote me a letter, um, saying how proud of me she was and like that she loved me and was there, had my favorite treats and drinks. Mm. And, um, she was like, I just thought you could use this today. It was just, it was just like, and then that quote popped into my head of like, I got into the car after work and I just started bawling my eyes out. And my mom was like, what's wrong? (laughs) And I told her, I was like, I saw this quote on Facebook that said, pay attention to the love notes. And then here's all these people like on the day that's super hard for me, they're like sending me love. Like it's, it's like God again, showing me that he is here through so many things, like not just, you know, the comfort that he provides, but like through other people, through circumstances, like I'm not, I'm truly not alone. And like that again was so comforting to me. It was like, he was constantly just talking to me Mm -hmm. with through little things throughout the whole experience. Um, So yeah, that was another really amazing thing. And then this one's a really interesting one, actually. My mom at this point had left and um, I decided it was time to go through Dan's phone. Um, And so I was, I loved to go through his chats with people because Mm -hmm. I loved hearing his voice through talking like I could just yeah. I could read what he was saying and hear it and it just it was comforting to me yeah. so I saw on his Facebook that he had an unopened message from a friend that he had known since he was younger and I knew this friend back when we lived in Spokane um, so I read through their conversation and in the conversation the guy is talking to Dan about some troubles he has in his life and how he is um, unsure of God and, um, is struggling in his faith. And so Dan sat and like talked him through this, Mm. um, over a message. And, um, then the friend says to him, is there anything that I can, um, pray for you for? And Dan's answer is like insane. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. (laughs) Dan says back, uh, I want, I would like you to pray for me that I be strengthened to be an excellent sacrifice for the Lord's plan. Pray for a soft heart for me and that my wife will be supported and visited by the Lord, that she will humble her, humble herself and rediscover her love for the Lord 
and pray that the Lord will accomplish his will and forgive our stumbling and frustrations according to his plan. Whoa. And when I read that, I was like, like, oh my gosh, like he was praying about his death without even understanding it. Right. Like I, like he didn't even know. And he was literally praying about the circumstance that was just about to happen. And in wow. this message, this conversation had happened um, two weeks prior to his death. Wow. It was like insane. And, and the craziest thing about that is like, like I did, I felt so supported and visited by God through Dan's death mm-hmm. that it was almost overwhelming. Like I, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. I grew up a Christian as a little girl. Um, and I've always believed in God and I've seen him work in many ways, but ever like after Dan died, I have never been so sure that God exists mm-hmm. until now. Like now it's like, there is no doubt in my mind because of how I felt through it. It was like this immense peace that like, even though I was grieving and like dying on the inside, it was like, I was being hugged in, yeah. in, and loved through my pain. Like I can't even yeah. describe it. Like the, the comfort that I felt was amazing. So then like to read that of like, that I would wow. be visited and supported by him. It was like, Oh my gosh, that's like, this crazy. is crazy. And then it did like, it jump started even further. Like my faith, like I was mm-hmm. from then on, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just crazy to see that he was praying for that and didn't even know. Yeah. Just wild to me. Wow. You have quite the story. And I, the biggest theme that I see is that God was with you, like in very tangible ways and that you were able to see that. Like, I think he's, he's with all of us, but sometimes we don't stop to see it. And you were able to see all these ways and share them with us. And it's absolutely incredible. You know, here you are. How long has it been now since he passed two away? And a, two and a half years. Two and a half years. And you're like this amazingly beautiful woman inside and out, confident in who you are, confident in your faith, you know, and like you were talking about his life and like how other people, you know, you could start to see how it's helping other people. Well, now you're in front of hundreds more, like right now with this podcast and his life is continuing to change other people's lives because of your faith and your willingness to be like, okay, God, like, I don't understand this, but I'm going to cling to you. And I think that's such a beautiful picture that you painted about like hugging Jesus feet and like just how you were just willing to be there. And I'm, I'm so proud of you. Like, I want to tell you that, like, I'm so proud of you watching your story. You're, you are, I think you are the, the youngest widow I've ever even talked to. Um, just to see that you could have used this to get bitter. You could have like all of these things, but instead here you are sharing your story, which is hard to do. You know, it's deeply personal, but I am so proud of you for being able to share this for the world. And I'm so excited about the lives that I believe this is going to touch from you being willing to be open. And it's just amazing. Like I'd only heard like one tenth of your story. So that was all new to me, all of that. And it was, it's really, it's painful, but it's beautiful to see where God was and is in this. So now two and a half years later, 
tell me what life is like for you now, kind of like what your grief is like and like just what what's your daily life like now? Um, now I, I'm doing so well. Um, and this is one of the things that, um, I guess that I'm I'm proud of myself for is that, uh, early on in my grief, um, when I chose to fight, it was the best decision I ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, did I want to sit and sulk in my pain? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, and I will tell you, it is hard to pick yourself up off the ground when you are dying like that. It is hard to make choices for yourself to help you um, for the long run. It is hard to make yourself get up and go for a walk and to Mm -hmm. force yourself into situations that are uncomfortable because you know it's good for your healing. Um, So I had told myself early on that I was going to fight. And um, I told myself that there was a future me out there Mm. um, whose happiness depends on the now on what everything mm, I do so now, that future me literally is out there waiting for me. Like they, their happiness cannot happen without the hard work I do. And right. so when I visualized that and was like, I'm going to bring that back and I'm going to provide a, a future happiness for myself that I deserve regardless of what I went through. Um, that like, that was such a huge, like, kicker for me because it it made me realize what was so important in that moment and that fighting was so important um so I yeah I I started fighting hard for it and um it it paid off like it was a rough road it still sometimes is (laughs) um but what's so wonderful about now is like that future me that I was two years ago uh envisioning is the me now Right. Which is so crazy to think about that this me is what I was fighting for. Yeah. And I am so happy that I did because my yeah. happiness has returned. Um, I do enjoy life um, so much. Uh, there's been, I've, I've, I have a new outlook on life. I yeah. see things so much different. Um, I value a lot of things differently and more importantly, um, my, my happiness is bigger when I'm happy and my, um, love is bigger when I love, like, it's like these, all these emotions that I had before Dan's death are now like times 10. Like I thought I was a a lovey emotional person now before, but now I'm like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more Mm -hmm. now. So yeah, the healing's been good. I have been going to therapy. I do trauma therapy. Um, that was a hard decision to do, but, um, it has been beneficial. One of the things I did do, um, that was really hard was, um, I told myself that I would never go back to Deadwood mm. ever again. Cause I was like, that would like, that place is hell for me. Like there's right. no way I could do it. Well, throughout my healing, um, and all, I read a lot of books and I researched a lot cause I wanted to know what I could do for myself to help myself. And, um, one of the things that they encouraged was feel your pain. Like you really need to go through it. Like one of the things I remember you saying that had, it really helped me through my journey. Um, cause when I started listening to you, I was a brand new widow. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you guys were a huge influence Mm -hmm. on my recovery as well. But I remember one of the things that you had said was, um, what you can heal, you can feel or what you can feel, you can heal. Yeah, exactly. 
Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, and so I, I kind of researched further into that and dug into it. And I was like, what they're saying is true. Like, do not hide your feelings. Like you need to dive into it and feel, let yourself feel. So I was like, I made the decision on the one year of Dan's anniversary um, to take Dan with me because I cremated him. So he's in mm-hmm. a box. I took him with me to Deadwood. My mom wow. came and um, to process Wow. that entire place and everything that I had been through. And so I sat outside the hotel um, and just mourned what happened. And I um, could only be in Deadwood for about an hour before it was yeah. too much on me and I had to go. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I made it there and I put myself in an extremely painful position to help myself um, especially because like one of the, one of the biggest obstacles with Deadwood was even just hearing the name. People would say the name, like everyone here in town loves Deadwood. So like oh. people would say it, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wear their merchandise and dead. I'd see people with sweatshirt oh. and like anytime I saw it or heard it, like it made yeah. me cringe. Like it would almost put me into a sense of like a mental breakdown just mm-hmm. by hearing the words. Cause it, that place just brought so much pain to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had told myself, I was like, uh, uh-uh. like this is no longer going to control me. I do not want this to control me for the rest of my life. Right. I'm going to take back that power. So, wow. um, going to Deadwood was a huge step for me. Um, and it did, it helped so much. Um, when people start after I noticed when I came back, when people would start, when say, would say the word Deadwood, um, I, it didn't bother me as much. Like I could handle it better. So I was like, okay, so like this is the process and it is working. So then I did it again on his two year. I went again and it was so much better this time. Um, I actually found moments of happiness. Mm. I wanted to tie Deadwood. Um, I want it. My goal is for it to be a place of good memory. Yeah. Because essentially what Dan had told me was that that was his best day. That that day yeah. was beautiful to him. Mm-hmm. He loved Deadwood. Like that was such a beautiful place for us. And it was also the last place we had such a wonderful time. Yeah. So I want that to be a very cherished memory. Um, so my goal is to push past that that grief and work through it so that it can be a place of peace. Um, so the second time that I went was so much better and I did find joy in it. I actually mm. bought a, a Deadwood sweatshirt, Wow, <laughs> which was hard to do. Like I really had yeah. to be like, okay. And then I forced <laughs> myself to wear it. So I wow, started wearing so it and um, now I wear it and I'm like happy about it. Like I don't yeah. have weird feelings tied to it. Um, and then I plan to go back again on the third year, um, back in, in April, this, this coming year to mm-hmm. do it again and, and, uh, get more healing. Wow. So That's yeah, the amazing. healing, the healing process has been hard, but it, uh, it's good and it's paid off for the me now and life looks good for me. And, um, I'm doing a lot better with like, my memory is still awful, but yeah. Uh, it is doing better. I, th- I think, honestly, the most important part is the joy has yes. come back. And that yes. is such a relief. Yes. <laughs> when you live without it and you don't think, like one of my big passions, I just visited a new widow a few days ago. It's been like a month and she's in that awful place. And I'm like, it's going to get better. Like the joy will come back. Like it's not going to feel like this forever. And I love what you're saying. You're giving such good advice because maybe there's people who are fearing a certain, you know, their husband died in a certain way or their wife and they haven't faced it like you are. And I think that's, that's amazing. And that's beautiful. And that's really great advice. 
So what would you say has been the most challenging part about being widowed? Oh man. Um, there's a lot, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> a lot more than I would have ever thought. Um, yeah. my, like my heart goes out to widows now, like so deeply because yes. my gosh, this is a horrible experience. Um, a lot of the stuff that, um, well, let me look through my notes here to make sure I don't forget anything for mm -hmm. the challenges. Okay. So like, I guess one of the main ones would be, uh, PTSD. Oh, I struggle yeah. with really, uh, rough PTSD. Um, sometimes it comes out. It's, I still have night terrors. I do still struggle with that is better. It's better, yeah. but I do still have that. Um, there are a lot of sounds and even smells and, um, just a lot of different things that trigger the PTSD, um, mm -hmm. that send me into, I have been sent into many panic attacks. Oh, um, wow. that was another thing as I, uh, had never experienced anxiety before. Yeah. Um, I was always like, I mean, obviously I feel like everybody experiences situational anxiety. Right. Like you getting, you get anxious about certain things in life. Like that happens. But this anxiety was like completely different. Like um, and that was rough <laughs> because yeah. I was suddenly sent into a ball of like crazy. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I was so stressed and paranoid about everything and anxious and I could feel my heart going up. I'd have panic yeah. attacks during the day. I had panic attacks in my sleep, which was oh, crazy. Wow. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, know that, that was a thing. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I was actually really glad I had a friend there when it happened. Cause I didn't know what was happening to me. And I was sleeping when it happened. She woke oh, wow. me because I was like hyperventilating and like wow. breaking down. And I remember waking up to her, like holding me and it was dark. And I was like, I couldn't breathe. And I was like, I remember she had to get me like a glass of water. It was horrible. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, you can have panic attacks in your sleep. Didn't wow. know that. Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody's out there who's had that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's rough. Mm. Um, so anxiety was one of the biggest problems that I had. Um, it's been hard to navigate. I still have anxiety to this day, mm -hmm. but it is better. So if anybody wonders if the anxiety does get better, it does. Yeah. Um, especially from those, like that, especially that first year, I would probably say the first year of my anxiety was just horrible. Yeah. Um, so now it's like I have anxiety, but it's more level, I guess. Yeah. And they more come in waves now. Like my anxiety right. isn't like a constant state of um, anxiety. And then another thing that I really struggled with, probably one of the hardest was I went through an identity crisis. Mm. Um, I really, really struggled with the idea of letting who I was before Dan died go. Mm. Um, because there was a new me that was trying to be reborn and come out because of what I had been through and the trauma and the grief, like it literally just rewrote everything about me. Um, not to say that there weren't very main characteristics that still stayed like, yeah, but a lot of things were changing. Um, I, w I had a harder time with my emotions and uh, there were different things I struggled with, with like anger. I didn't really experience anger much before. And then it became a very ugly monster after Dan's death. Like I just, really had a hard time with anger. That anger stage was pretty big. Um, I didn't like the fact that I was changing because I just wanted it to be the same. 
I did yeah. not want it. And so I felt like I was holding on to it. Like the old me was like a rope. And then I also felt like I had to be the old me for uh, people to like me. Like I was so afraid that like me changing was going to ruin my friendships and like they wouldn't understand. And um, I learned that, my goodness, I should have been so delicate on myself for what I had been through. And I was so hard on myself Mm. and I shamed my grief and my sadness. And anytime I was acting crazier than the normal, or I was having really big emotions I didn't know how to handle, or I was having grief waves. Like I was very angry at myself for it because I just wanted to be better. And um, what I should have done was just embrace that part of me um, and almost like give that part of me a huge hug because yeah. I was doing the best that I could. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, applaud. Yeah. Uh-huh. You do, Like everybody out there, you're doing so so much work right now like you should be so proud of yourself yeah Yeah. um I feel like we're harder on ourselves than we should be and that was huge on me um and then once I learned to uh embrace the new me that was trying to come out and like just let go of all expectations I once had of myself and learn to get to know this new me and love this new me Mm -hmm. um was a really big journey in itself (laughs) so I really had to go through that of learning to love what was becoming new and that just because it was different that the new me is different does not at all mean that that's a bad thing there's wonderful things that came from that like yeah I'm different and I'm new in different ways but it's beautiful Mm -hmm. honestly so um it took a lot for me to get there and that was a hard hard place to yeah reach but um, I love that you're like so self-aware like not a lot of people are where you're you've like done the work you've done the time you like research things you know what I mean like you're really trying it's the people that they seem to never recover it's because they don't take the first step yes yes I completely agree I mean it does the first step starts with you it really does you cannot just expect for you to get better Mm -hmm. you really do have to do the um uh, the hard work that it takes to get to a good place yeah it's, and, it's a mm-hmm. what advice would you give to a new widow um be gentle on yourself yeah for sure <laughs> and um another thing would be it is completely okay whatever whatever emotions come and whatever you are feeling it's okay Like it is okay to be sad and to break down in the grocery store and to lose your mind and just like sob. It is okay to feel whatever emotions or hard thing you are going through. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we like to tell ourselves that it's not okay or that we have to be good for other people or we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. But honestly, what you went through was so awful and your grief is completely yours. Do not let anybody tell you how you are supposed to grieve and how long you are supposed to grieve. People, people don't understand if they haven't been through this. And I mean, that's a blessing on their part. We don't want them to understand. Right. But I think it just takes the idea of knowing like they mean well, and because they don't understand, they aren't able to give that advice, but don't, don't take that advice and internalize it negatively. Mm, Take it and be like, like, take it and be like, this, this is mine. And I deserve to feel the way I am feeling and I will get through it. And it's okay. Like, that's the biggest thing. That's Um, so good. Great advice. (laughs) 
And then my, my next biggest piece of advice, um, that honestly helped me the most is God, um, hold on to him because I promise you he is there and he cares. You know, um, one of the biggest realizations I had is that when Dan died, um, I have no doubt in my mind that God hurt for me and with me. Mm-hmm. And that um, he was sad, just as sad as I was over what happened and that he understands. Mm-hmm. He knows what you're going through and he knows how hard it is. I think there's a Bible verse. Yeah, you've, you've said it, that God is close to the brokenhearted yes. and the yeah. widow. Like yes. he, he gets it yep. and he's there for you. And I promise you, he is not going to leave. Mm-hmm. Even if you think that he's not there, he is there every step of the way. And that's huge. And he, he will, he will, he'll guide you through it. And that is the experience on my part is I honestly mm. think um, if I wasn't a Christian and I did not know God, I don't think I would have been able to do this. Honestly, yeah, yeah it makes right. all the difference. Oh, so much difference. Great advice. So were there any specific songs or verses that have helped you through your hard time? Yeah, one of my favorite verses that helped me, which is actually kind of a an interesting tie-in to Dan and I's lives earlier um, Dan and I used to sit and memorize Bible verses. One time we were like, Hey, we should memorize verses and put it up on a whiteboard and quiz each other once a week. <laughs> like, we were, yeah. So we actually had this verse for years up on our whiteboard. Um, and it's funny because it ended up being, um, one of the biggest verses that helped me through my grief. And it was wow. Joshua one nine, um, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord. Your God will be with you wherever you go. So good. So that's really, yeah, that one just really touches mm. my heart big time. And then again, it's just interesting that uh, that happened to be the verse that uh, was on Dan and I's whiteboard for a really long time. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. I love all your advice, all your, just everything that you shared has been so amazing. So I have another question. I didn't prep you for this, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is something that people are always curious about. So what are your thoughts on dating again? Yeah. So, um, at first I will say I was like, no, Mm -hmm. um, there is, there is no way, like I can't, um, not only for the fact that I still felt like in love with Dan and I just couldn't, um, but also for the fact of like losing someone again, like that was the biggest fear. I was like, I couldn't, I can never love again because, um, if this happens to me again, no, like I can't, the fear of even right. risking that was like too great and too big that I was like, I'm going to completely stay away from that. Um, but as time goes on and um, also knowing Dan, I know that he would want happiness for me. I know that with all of his heart that he would not want me right. to live a life of sadness. And I know that he would want me to, because he he always used to say to me, like, I know you're, you're going to be a mom one day. Like you, this is your dream. Like that's what you want um, the happy life thing. And I know that, um, he wants, he would want me to go on in life and build that life for me that just because he died doesn't mean my life has to die too. Um, and I think that it would bring him so much joy Mm -hmm. to see me happy and living my life and whatnot. So I've made that a goal, um, that I will find that one day. So yeah, I completely, I completely am open to that. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And everybody has different answers and that's totally fine. Some people never want to date again. Some people do. Um, and that's okay. Like for all the listeners, wherever you're at with that is totally fine. Just like with your grief, it's your own story, your own life. And so whether you want to date or not, that's totally a personal decision. I'm always just curious when I interview people, what their thoughts are on that. Um, what about, I'm just thinking of questions I never even asked you before, but like, have you had people say dumb things pretty much like insensitive things, like maybe cause you're young or it's like, what has that been like for you? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I have had people come up to me and say, <laughs> I remember one time it was actually really, really soon after Dan's death and they came up to me and they, they put their hand on me and they were like, how awful that it was that you found him and was like, please don't do not remind me yeah. of that right now. Like, why would you bring that up? Oh. Uh -huh. And then another one was uh, someone said, too bad you didn't get to have children to remember him by. That's horrible. That was, yeah, that was that would that one, I think, cut yeah. the deepest because oh. I was already mourning that loss. We right. didn't get a chance to have kids. Right. And that was our dream. And um. I begged for me to be pregnant when I found, when Dan had died. Like I, I prayed and prayed and was like, please let me be oh, pregnant. Right. Please, please, please. Like, and then when I wasn't like, it was horrible. I had to grieve right. that because That's I was like, big loss. Ah. you know? So then when that person said that, I was like, why would you, why would mm. you say that to me? Like that, uh, it didn't need to hear that. I didn't need to think about that. Yeah. Um, wow. and then another one is another one that gets me is, uh, when people say, um, I've had someone say it was, it was actually on our way back from the widow's retreat. Oh, we were in the airport and, uh, one of the workers was like, so where are you guys traveling to? And, um, Erica and I were like, oh, we're, we just got back from a widow's retreat. And she goes, I completely understand. I just got divorced. Oh my gosh. And she goes, she goes yeah. legit. Her words were death and divorce are the same pain no. hurts just as much yep she's like so I get you sisters and she hugs us and we were we were like afterwards <laughs> we walked away and we looked at each other we were like like how oh man that was so mm -mm. infuriating like don't That's get me horrible. wrong I understand that divorce yeah. is hard and there are right. many circumstances that are very like rough yes. on that but um they're different and I understand right. that it's also a loss. It is. Right. You lost something too, but like this is, we not can't the get them back. It's not the same. Um, and the, the journey is like way different. Yes. So. That one, yeah, that one is horrible. Like she was trying to be like, I get you sisters. We're in the same right. club. I'm like, no, did you watch your husband die? Like <laughs> you're, you're not even close to the same club. Yeah. Don't get me started right. on that one. That bothers right. me. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> there are very hard things, but to say to someone death and divorce are the same thing, they are not. They are completely mm -hmm. different. So I'm sorry somebody said that. So <laughs> anyways, um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed hearing your full story. 
Um, it's very inspirational. Um, and I'd like to close with prayer. So God, I just thank you so much for Linnea and just thank you for her willingness to share and to be open. And God, I just want to thank you for the ways that you have surrounded her in her pain and just that she was aware of it and that she was able to share all of those with us today about all the ways that you were there. God, I just pray that you continue to bring her comfort, peace. Um, we just pray for you to take away the anxiety. And I just thank you for all the people that you have put in her life um, and surrounded her with. And we just thank you for that. And we pray for all of our listeners too, that they will also find peace and joy and comfort. And we just thank you for this day. Amen. So if you liked this podcast, give us a little ping, five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have a couple extra minutes, you want to write a review, that's awesome. And um, we're always looking for more guests. So there is a form to fill out on the show notes if you're interested. And if you want a community, you can find us on Facebook, Widow Too Soon, also Instagram, all the places. And uh, I guess I didn't ask you, Lene, was there anything else you wanted to say before I wrap it completely up? You're good. Nope, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And we will see you next time.